Good morning, everybody. My name's Seth. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I get to uh, walk us through the text this morning. It's kind of a fun day for me. You know, my son turns two today, which is, uh, thank you. You know, it's kind of my, my second birthday of being a dad. You know, you could frame it as egocentrically as possible. It's all about me. You know, we had a little family gathering. Uh, someone asked if we we're going to invite friends to it, and I said, absolutely not. And they said, why? And I said, because love your neighbor as yourself. I don't want to go to a two-year-old birthday party. I'm not. It's <clears throat> um, kind of how that rolls. You know, like being uninvited, you know, sometimes we're tempted to take that very personally, but sometimes it's an act of love to not be uh, invited. I remember uh, I was at ASU one time when I was in, when I was going to ASU, I was there sometimes, you know, I was at ASU. And there's this big guy holding up a big sign and he was standing at the MU yelling and screaming. Big sign, you know, said, uh, you know, masturbators, fornicators, vaccinated, yoga pants wearers, going to hell, you know. And I was like, the most surprising thing to me on that list was yoga pants wearers, you know. <laughs> I was like, I'm gonna need a chapter and verse for that one for sure. Like, and I remember I went up and talked to him. You know, his, I forget what his first name was, but uh, he went by brother, which made it easy to have the conversation. And, and, and I was uh, you know, 20 years old, and I thought, hey man, uh, tell me about this uh, yoga pants wearers thing. What's the deal? You know, this was even you know, a long time ago, you know, 11 years ago. Now, now, that'd be everybody now, <laughs> Every, or at least all the ladies uh, and some of the guys, you know, so. <laughs> but we, like, tell me about the yoga pants thing. What's the deal? And he's like, oh yeah, and, and, and He's all mad, and he's like, they, you know, all these, all these students, they hate me. They hate me. And he uh, took me to this text. They hate me because they hated Jesus first. You know, that's why they hate me. I'm like, you don't think it's the sign? You don't think it's <laughs> the tone? You don't think it's you being the way you are? You think it's because of Jesus that they hate you? And, uh, but anyway, I invited him to, uh, there's a little bagel shop there, and we did coffee and bagels, and I was just asking him about kind of what his deal was, how he started yelling at people in public with a big sign, and <laughs> how, what's the on-ramp there, <laughs> you know, is it just, and I just asked him about his life and about his goals, and if, if he felt like his ministry was effective, or if it was ineffective, or some combination of that, and, you know, at some point, we kind of got down to it, and um, I was like, hey man, I just think I think this text is true. I do think that there are people who will hate us because we love Jesus. I also think there are people who uh, will hate us because hate is contagious, and when we hate, we get hated, right? And so we went back and forth, and uh, then he went back to preaching, and he didn't listen to me, which is fine, you know. But you know, talking to the person, there's kind of he was he seemed pretty sad. It seemed like there's this misdirected passion, which is, seemed a little obvious. Uh, wanting to be taken seriously, not really know how to do it. But this is one of those texts we're talking about today that I've seen uh, probably misapplied more than I've seen rightly applied. You know, like Christians are just mean to people or rude or callous or unfeeling, un- unempathetic, you know, just bombastic. And if anybody is like, hey, I think you're being unkind, we're like, oh, you know, Jesus said they hate us, you know. And, and it's like, all right, come on. But, but there are haters, Right, we know that. And the key question is, who are the haters? And another key question is, uh, how are we supposed to react to those haters? 
Uh, and so I want us this morning to even kind of look at that, that the main thrust of this text actually leads to chapter 16, verse 1. I have said all these things to you. So Jesus is telling us, there's going to be haters. People will hate you. Uh, people hate me. They're actually going to end up killing me. And you're going to follow me. And following me tends to lead to things that happen to me being happening to you. So are you preparing for this? In verse 16, 1, he doesn't say, I don't tell you all this so that you can, you know, gripe and moan about it and feel special about it and, you know, pat yourself on the back. I tell you all this, verse 16, I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. What Jesus is exposing to us is that when there is hatred, there will be temptation to fall back. When the disapproval of the world comes at us, there will be temptation to uh, alter or change or pivot or withdraw or say never mind, to walk it back. And so all of us in this room, I hope that we all recognize that the stronger the presence of external hate, the more there is something inside of us that's going to be tempted to uh, renege or back up on uh, the biblical convictions or even just the, our commitment to Jesus. And so uh, I hope we see ourselves as vulnerable because Jesus saw us as vulnerable enough to give this speech about it, right? That he thought about us, he thought about Redemption Gateway, he thought, considered us and said, I'm telling you all this to keep you from falling away. And so I wanna pray that this morning that we'd keep from falling away and that we'd understand how to healthily process through hatred that comes. So let's do that. Jesus, I do ask that you'd help us uh, love the right things, that we wouldn't love not being hated. Because God, if we love not being hated, then we will avoid being hated at all costs. But some of what you're telling us here in this text is that uh, sometimes being hated means something is going right, not that something is going wrong. Uh, God, that emotional difficulty of getting over a pushback, I pray that you'd help us process that, pray it, and come to you with it. Lord, be patient with us as we learn how to do this. Amen. Amen. So I really want to start on this kind of like main thing here, verse 16, uh, or chapter 16, verse 1. I've said these things to you to keep you from falling away. Um, verse 2, they will put you out of the synagogues. I was trick-or-treating uh, last year, uh, which some people think shouldn't, I shouldn't have done, but I was trick-or-treating last year, and there's a couple signs I saw that were up in people's yards and people's houses, and the sign said, they want to divide us. So, oh, this is interesting. Uh, and I talked to the people who put the signs up, like, hey, who's the they? Who's they? And they're like, oh, you know. <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm, who do you think they is? Like, oh, we know who they is. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, but really, who's the they? It's a big problem here, you know? And I feel like who the they is is, you know, and so everyone has a they, right? They. They want us to get vaccinated. They don't want us to get vaccinated. They want us to be united. They want us to be divided. They, 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 they. It's kind of like this. The they is always those people that are against us. Who the us is is not clear. Who the they is is not clear. And so this is one of those texts. They will put you out of the synagogues. Well, who's the they here? Because my guess is everyone has like some assumed imagination on who the they is. Who's the they? And what's crazy for Jesus is this they is a, a multiple groups. Uh, most basically, they will put you out of the synagogues. Now, the synagogues was not just like a place of worship. It was actually a pr predominant place of doing business and connection, socialization. It's really kind of like would today be like this kind of dominant social um, uh, 
process in which like you do business, you meet people, you, it's, so it's this mashup of economic and religious life, kind of like nowadays you have a public square. So the synagogue would be like the main place the Jews kind of do their dealings, both religiously and economically. And so they will put you out of synagogues as threatening because you're kicked out of social influence and you're kicked out of uh, 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 like economic process and influence. And so who's the they? But for Jesus, you see that this they, the world, uh, as being this variety of groups, and there's actually kind of really ba- two main groups. There are uh, uh, the, the Jewish liberals, who I'd call these basically uh, the Sadducees, those who kind of controlled the Sanhedrin. There are the people who were, had been walking back on the authority of Scripture for a long time in order to have the approval of Rome, and they had religious power. Uh, they were, the Sadducees denied the resurrection. They denied a lot of the literal things in the scriptures and the they being put in the synagogues. You know, it was actually a lot of those folks who end up were, were like kind of the main people who um, had the decision-making authority and power to crucify Jesus. And so you have these kind of semi-religious but more secular liberals, the, the Sadducees, Sanhedrin-type folks. But then on the other side, you have the Pharisees who are the right-wing religious conservatives who really care about the authority of scripture, really took holiness seriously, really um, were into this. You know, like the apostle Paul was a Pharisee before he became the Apostle Paul. And he's like, people will eventually kill you in name of offering service to God. And that was more so the Pharisees and even the Sadducees. And so Jesus talking about they will put you out of the synagogues. He's talking about these people to the right and these people to the left of each other, not necessarily of him. But there's these powers at bay, these spheres of influence, because there's never really one singular there, they. Society's not monolithic. It's not like there's one group of people who oversee and run all of society, but there's different pockets of power and authority that, that spread out. This is true in first century Rome, and it's true today. But there's these people who control the ins and outs of society, or not even control, but have substantial influence over it, and the, these people, the they, will put you out of the synagogues. One of the things that bugs me is when people act like cancel culture is a new thing. It's, I think it's like our main thing as a society is thinking that everything's happening that happens is a new thing. You know, germs are a new thing. Washing your hands is a new thing. You know, canceled is a new thing. Like this is, they'll put you out of the synagogues. This is like thousands of years old stuff. Part of what's happening here, uh, we see this is, is, I think part of what I want us as Redemption Gateway to really deal with here is that we are free to be disappointed when they put us out of synagogues, but we are not free to be surprised. I like watching college football, especially yesterday there was this great scene because there's always like, you know, the home team and everyone's like in red and it's all like exciting, yelling, cheering. And then they always will zoom in on like the one person who is wearing the other team's jersey but somehow is like smack dab in the middle of the student section of the other team. And they always show them right when their team just messes up big time. The fumble late in the game and everyone around them is like, ah! And then they show that person and they're like, that's disappointed and surprised. <laughs> but like when the Suns blew a f- four games in a row in the NBA Finals, if you've been in Arizona, cheering in Arizona sports a long time, that's disappointed, not surprised. <laughs> and I think this is a, something that we gotta tell ourselves that when, when you know, 
secular liberals or right-wing fundamentalists want to look at like people are trying to follow the, the Bible, seri- take the Bible seriously and follow the way of Jesus, the, the loving Jesus, the crucified Jesus, the, the loves the poor Jesus, and they don't like it. Like being disappointed is healthy. Like being, like it's good to be sad when people don't get Jesus. It's good to be sad when people hate you. Like that's healthy. If you're not sad when people hate you, you like there's like some disassociative personality, something, there's something wrong. But we gotta stop being surprised. Can you believe it? Oh my gosh, this is crazy. Have you heard? Have you seen? People don't like, and it's, all that energy is, you know, my, my dad had a phrase growing up, it was ASB, which is attention-seeking behavior. <laughs> and when people were just kind of doing stuff to be seen, or it's like, that's attention-seeking behavior. I feel like a lot of our disappointed and surprised is, can sometimes be attention-seeking behavior. I haven't felt special in a while. I'm gonna look up people being mean to Christians. Aha! Look at what? We just can't be surprised by this. And when we act surprised, it actually like betrays the message because part of what Jesus is telling us here in this text is like, look, verse 18, 15, 18. If the world hates me, know that it will hate you. He goes on to say, the servant is not greater than its master. Meaning, I, Jesus is saying, I'm better than me. I'm better at being me than you are at being me. And they hate me. Jesus was holy, sinless, perfect. Meaning he did the way of Jesus perfect. He was Jesus. He was God in the flesh. You're going to try to do the way of Jesus and blow it all the time. And so you think that you're going to be hated less than Jesus? That's crazy. That's crazy. When you find yourself being surprised, like I just, I just hope that we don't have that, oh wow, reaction. Oh, I can't believe we turned it over in the fourth quarter. Like this is what we're doing. We can be disappointed, but we don't need to be surprised. One of the things, too, I think we're tempted to do is take it too personally. Like, Jesus says, this is about me. It's not about you. Like, guy holding up the sign, being obnoxious and rude, you know, that was about him. I don't think that was really about Jesus. If he held up a sign that was like, Jesus loves you and he hates your sin, and then people hated him, it's like, okay, maybe he has an argument that that's about this text, but uh, either way, I don't think that's necessarily a one-to-one application here. But Jesus goes on to say this. He goes, "Um, remember, the servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. They don't know about this. One of the things that Jesus tells us is like the whole reason they hate me, this is John 7, 7, is it hates me because I tell that that its works are evil. I tell the world that its works are evil. It's John 7, 7. Why do people hate Jesus? Uh, we don't like being told that we're evil. We like being told that we're basically good. We like being told that you have good intentions. We like being told, I understand what was going on. It makes sense that why you do that. We like being told, I know that may not be right, but you have to do what feels right in your heart. We like being told, uh, you know, it's your life. You need to live it. We like being told, do whatever you want. And here comes Jesus saying, no, that's evil. So the world doesn't hate him because he was mean 
The world doesn't hate him because he was rude. The world doesn't hate him because he was unkind. The world doesn't hate him because he was God. The world doesn't hate him because he was king. The world hates him because he said, hey, your works are evil. Sometimes the world will hate us because we're unkind, because we're rude, because we're mean, because we're unloving, because we're greedy, because we're selfish, because we're idolatrous, because we're swept up by the media, because we're this, because we're that. And if that's the truth, then that hatred is on us. But if the world hates us because we're witnessing, like Jesus did, to what's evil and what's not evil, then we have an argument that we're like Jesus. When we're doing the things that Jesus did, like the things Jesus did, that will result in a form of hate. And so we shouldn't really take that personally. It's not really about me. This is, you've, a lot of you have parented teenagers before, Right? What do you do when your teenager comes to you and says the kids at school are mean? You tell them, that's not about you, that's about them. I said, that's what you should kind of say. <laughs> but when it comes to us, what Jesus is telling us is that we're not good at following that advice for ourselves. What we're tempted to do is not say, hey, they hate us because of them, not they hate us because of me. What we're tempted to do is we're gonna be tempted to fall away. We want to take it personally. And this is one of the reasons why when we are hated by individuals or by systems or by structures or by societies, I want us to also have this view here that a lot of the time that hatred is caused by ignorance, not necessarily by maliciousness. This is part of what this text is teaching. They hate me because they do not know him who sent me. They don't know the Father. They don't know him. That is why they hate Sometimes we're tempted to say, uh, you know, I know why they are hating me. It's because they want to do me harm. I know why they hate me. It's because, and we end up reading this like malicious intent into the hatred of the world on us. But what Jesus is trying to help us see is like, don't take it that personally. They're not being malicious. They're just ignorant, which that can sound pretty patronizing, right? You ever been told, uh, you know, it's like you can't read a news article that's not talking about like, oh, ignorance and hatred. You know, that's pretty... Uh, those t- two things tend to go hand in hand. But part of what Jesus is saying here is that ignorance does lead to hatred. Ignorance of God, ignorance of the Father, ignorance of the Son. They say this multiple times. Um, chapter 16, verse 2. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming. Whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. Verse 3. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. One of the ways we maintain compassion for those who hate us is by recognizing that they are doing this because they don't know God. They're doing this because they don't know the Father. They're doing this because they don't know Jesus. This is not really about me at all. This is about them being far from the way, the truth, and the life. Them being far from the author of heaven. This is them being far from the author of life. This is about them being far from the one who upholds the universe. It's about them being far from the one who loves them and gave his life for them and is inviting them into his kingdom. And so, if we find ourselves not having this posture of compassion and love and care, even for our oppressors, for our haters, for those who are against the church, part of what that shows is that we're taking this stuff too personally. And it's not really about me. This is the heart of Jesus. When he, so none of you have been crucified. I know that because you're still here. And when Jesus is being crucified, betrayed, murdered, Look at what he's able to pray in Luke 23, 34. He says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. 
that even the forgiveness of Jesus, the heart of Jesus, Jesus being able to pray for his persecutors, praying for his haters, praying for those who are wrongly accusing him, praying for those who are actively doing him harm is because he's, the, the engine of it is they don't know what they're doing. They don't know I'm God. They don't know that the Father is the Father. They don't know the Son is the Son. In their ignorance, they are committing evil. In their ignorance, they are hating the wrong things. This is part of what happens is when we get to know the Father is we start to hate the right things and we start to love the right things. See, everyone hates something, everyone loves something. The question is, do we hate the right things and do we love the right things? And what this text is teaching us is that when you don't know the Father, when you don't know the Son, you hate the wrong things. And so having a debate about what we should be hating is actually misguided. Because arguing with people who don't know the Father that they're hating the wrong things is like you gotta go back to the root of the problem, which is you have to know the Father. You have to know Jesus. And so one of the ways that Christians waste time and energy, I think, is arguing with people who don't know the Father and who don't know the Son about what we should and shouldn't be hating. Until you know the Father, until you know Jesus, until you have a, a, a connection to him, you're gonna hate the wrong stuff. Think about all the things you hate. Think about the people you hate. Well, I don't hate anybody. Okay, think about the people that you're revulsed by. Use a different word, thesaurus it. I mean, Christians know better than to say I hate someone. Like that's, we're not stupid. But if you like plugged hate into thesaurus and looked up all the other words, you're like, oh, I, I some of those words, people. That's true. <laughs> Who are those people? Are they made in God's image? Do they know the Father? Have you taken it too personally? Here's the next thing I think for us to redemption gateway we really want to get at here. This is a chapter 15, verse 26, when the helper comes. Uh, Luke talked about the helper a good amount the last couple weeks as Jesus has been teaching on the Holy Spirit. The helper, the helper holds us up and mobilizes us. Right? Another way to think about the, the Spirit of God is, you know, it's like we're sailboats. And we have sails and the Spirit moves us. Right? Another way you could translate the word Spirit sometimes is the word wind. Like if you look outside and you see the leaves moving. You go, the leaves are not moving themselves. The wind is moving them, right? And so it's the same with Christians. Christians are not moving themselves. It's the spirit that's moving them. It's what, what you can't see that animates and gives energy to and mobilizes. And the helper's gonna come. The spirit's gonna come. Jesus says, it's better that I leave and the spirit comes. And you go, I don't know about that. Uh, but Jesus said it was better, so it must be better. When the helper comes, who, I'll send, who I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Witness, testify, and let people know. When the helper comes, and you will also bear witness, because you've been with me from the beginning. That one of the promises right in the center of this text, this could feel like it's inserted in weird places, right? Because chapter uh, 15, 18 through 25 is all about haters. Chapter 16, 1 through 4, all about haters. But right in this centerpiece, the sandwich, the, you know, the middle of the Oreo, right? 
Uh, someone sent me a bunch of Oreos. I don't know who it was. I assume it was Chad. I don't know if Chad's here today. Chad, someone sent me a bunch of Oreos for my birthday. Thanks for the Oreos. Uh, but there's double stuffed ones and thin ones in it, right? Which I saw the Oreo thins, and I was like, whose dumb idea was this? <laughs> like, I'm a double stuffed guy. What's in the middle matters most, right? <laughs> Same with the Bible. What's in the middle matters most. We have here a hate sandwich. So the, the, the spirit is a spirit sandwich, right? It's hate, spirit, hate, right? What's in the middle is what type of sandwich it is. You don't call it a wheat sandwich. You call it a turkey sandwich, right? What's in the middle matters most. So what's in the middle matters most here, the Holy Spirit peace, right? Hate, spirit, hate. Um, why is that? Why is this, this dialogue about hate interrupted by this dialogue about the spirit? Well, it's because it's not. It's because Jesus knows that we're gonna be tempted to not be witnesses. We're instead gonna be tempted to be whiners. Christians are witnesses, not whiners, kind of attention-seeking, complaining about circumstances stuff. And we want to be able to lament and pray and go to the Father and say, Lord, see my pain, hear my pain. Jesus does that. We can do that. But in the context of hate, the centerpiece of what's going on here is you'll be my witnesses in this context. It's actually when you're hated, when you're reviled, when you're scorned, when people are against you, when people are putting you out of the synagogues, when they're killing you thinking they're offering service to God, when they are rejecting you and resisting you and putting their energy against whatever you are for, the Spirit will come and you will bear witness about me. It's actually in the context of being under the boot of those in power that the bearing the witness to the kingdom of God carries the most weight. And you can't do it on your own. (laughs) You can't just will yourself into being a witness to the kingdom because it is the opposite of every human instinct to say, I have said this, now I'm being crushed for it. Every part of our flesh is gonna wanna back it up and say, never mind, that hurts too much. But the spirit is going to come and bear witness to the kingdom and say, I don't live for this world. I don't need the approval of those in power. I don't need the approval of those who get to decide who's in and who's out. I don't need to react to cancel culture by offering some type of half-hearted apology so I can maintain my status quo influence. I don't need to do that because I have the approval in the eye of the Father and the Spirit is moving me to bear witness about His kingdom and His kingdom lasts longer than all these kingdoms. And so when I'm put out of the public square, guess what? Public squares come and go. They come and go. Governments come and go. Companies come and go. Stock markets come and go. Governments as a whole come and go. Every kingdom will fall. And so having the disapproval of an earthly kingdom when you're operating on an eternal mindset is nothing. Nothing. And so when we're tempted to whine and complain and seek attention for being hated for loving Jesus and being affectionate to him and committed to him above all else, we need to take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ and say, this is my chance to bear witness, not my chance to whine. This is a promise. This is not a prediction. And one of the things I hope that we see is that when it starts to hurt, that means we're doing it right. You know, I, was, uh, I did a competition, cross competition yesterday. There's actually 
at Insight, right next door. It's like day two of the competition, or section two of it. And Alex Shaw, who's a mentor here, I think freshman boys. I don't think he's here yet. Maybe at 10.45, or maybe his back hurts too bad. I don't know. But we, uh, you know, working out, and we're about to do this workout. And, uh, and I said, this is going to hurt really bad. And he looked at me and said, only if we do it right. <laughs> because when you work out real hard, you know, you hit that lactic acid pain, and you just, everything in your body wants to tell you, just put it down, man, stop going. But if you flip your mindset and you go, if, I'm, if it's hurting, I'm doing it right. So the pain comes, you go, oh, I'm doing it right. You think, you're nuts. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, you know, that's why we didn't win, because we the other people were crazier. You know, they, they would believe that. But this is, I think, what it wants to get, is that instead of receiving the pain of hatred and that causing us to go, maybe we're doing something wrong. I, I talked to a lot of my close friends. Some uh, did Young Life for a long time. Some church ministry a long time. And there's this word that gets tossed about a ton. The word is deconstruction. You think about construction is building. Deconstruction is unbuilding, tearing things down. People leaving the church, especially they say like folks basically like 25 to 35 right in that window. You know, it's like the spiritual midlife crisis. Uh, people start going, is the Bible God's word? Is the Bible right on sexuality? Are we really right about hell? Are we really right about heaven? And they start pulling the Jenga blocks out one by one until... And there's a lot of reasons why someone might wander into this dismantling of their faith thing. Sometimes it's... Uh, you get traumatized by church leaders who lie, abuse, cheat, steal. They're understandable. Um, but the core reason that I am seeing a lot of my friends and my friends' friends leaving is the world started hating them. And they got called enough names that start with something and end with phobic. Uh, enough where it's you know, it's like the death by a thousand cuts. You know? Maybe, maybe we were wrong. This hurts pretty bad. But part of what Jesus says here is, I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Now, it's, it's a millennial term to call it deconstruction. Other people just call it backsliding, wandering off, doing your own thing, busy on Sundays, whatever you want to call it. Fading away. But this is a promise from Jesus. They will hate you. And so when you experience the hatred of the world, when we experience hatred of the world, uh, there will be a temptation to go into the deconstruction thing. But I hope that we take this not as license to deconstruct, but actually as confirmation. That when it starts to hurt, maybe it means you're doing it right. Some of us have never felt the hatred of the world. And I'd say this text would say that maybe that's not a good sign. Maybe we're too silent. Maybe we're too, you know, silence is approval. Maybe we um, aren't really loving our neighbors well 
by inviting them into our lives and inviting them to Jesus. Maybe we uh, are harboring this desire for approval and it's deep down in there somewhere and it's making us timid or too cautious. So I hope that as uh, Redemption Church, as Redemption Church Gateway, that when real resistance comes, when real hatred comes, that we're disappointed but not surprised, that we're witnesses, not whiners, and that we understand that this is confirming Jesus told us this would happen. He told us this would happen. And that maybe it means we're doing it right. Also, maybe not. But maybe. Uh, I just want to pray for us because I just take this warning seriously. I'm telling you this to keep you from falling away. I see that as a promise. You will be tempted to fall away. And I hope that Jesus holds us. Let's pray together. Jesus, keep us from falling away. When resistance comes, when hatred comes, when pushback comes. I pray that we'll be sober, understanding that we sign up to follow a guy who got crucified. And I pray that you'll help us love you and see what is worth it. It's in your name we pray. Amen.